0: Today, I chatted with Adrian Barnes, the founder of Best Buyer Persona, a company that helps create buyer personas the right way. Today, we chatted about how to create buyer personas, why most buyer personas suck, and why it's important to talk to customers and internal stakeholders. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Adrian, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi Daniel, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Me too, me too, it's been a long time coming. I wanna get off the first question of how did you get into marketing and also your expertise in audience research and buyer personas?
1: So my journey to marketing, I think now it's kind of a standard one or you see it quite frequently. Um, I was a stay-at-home mom. I had three kids, we homeschooled, so they were here all the time. My youngest was almost two, and he was just starting to like sleep through the night. And I was like, hey, you know what? My brain's working again. I think I'd like to do something. I'd like to like use it and earn some money. Um, My previous career was as an English teacher. I, you know, have an English degree. I was working with high schoolers, teaching them how to, you know, do all the English stuff, read books, and write reports and things like that. Um, I had a friend who was a single mom. And she had a house and a mortgage and she didn't go to work. She didn't go to an office, but I, she earned money. She did something. And I was like, Hey, what, what do you do? What, how do you make a living enough to like pay rent and have clothes and food and things like that? Um, and she said, I'm a copywriter. And I was like, Oh, what is that? So we were at a birthday party. She kind of told me a little bit of what that meant. Um, I went home and started researching what was copywriting, joined some Facebook groups realized really quickly that what I loved to do was the content marketing side, the content writing, the long form blog posts, and articles and ebooks. Um, because to me, it felt very much like what we did in college, right? Like I was able to go and research a topic and then write about it and share it with the world and learn something new. And that was just really exciting to me. So that was my first freelance marketing was as a freelance content writer for Various companies, the content did really well, and I was able to get better clients and charge better rates. And the more clients I had, and the more opportunities I had to see inside different teams, I realized that a lot of companies didn't have a clear vision, a clear idea, concrete examples of who they were marketing to. You know, your first question as a writer is okay, who's my audience? Who am I writing to? And they didn't really know. They didn't know quite clearly and quite well. Um, and that's how the idea of Best Buyer Persona kind of came to fruition. Um, it started in 2018 as this idea of like, what what can I do to help companies really understand who their audience is, who their buyers are? And yeah, it just kind of bloomed from there. And now I've got Best Buyer Persona that we work on where we do buyer personas and user research really for tech companies and d2c companies and then also another side where i do content strategy content uh, fractional content director kind of still utilizing user research and audience research um, more on the content strategy side so it's bloomed
0: i love that i love how you fell into uh, marketing just from speaking to someone that was your friend that's awesome that's a that's a cool story i would love to get into the weeds about User research, buyer research. How do you even start that process to do that?
1: So, when I begin a project, my first goal is to talk to the internal team. A lot of people think that, oh, well, your first thing should be to go and reach out to the buyers or the users and start talking to the people in the community. But really, you want to identify what are the project or the research goals. What's going on internally? What do we need to find out? What are some questions that we have internally? And it's one of my favorite things is to really identify the questions that are going on internally and then turn those into questions that we can ask buyers to get the answers. You know, it's all about a question and answer process. So I start with stakeholder interviews, essentially. So I want to know within the organization who needs to buy in to the buyer persona, who's going to use it. Um, And that should be pretty much almost everybody um, who needs to like, what is the different information different people need? What does the sales manager need to know? What does the product lead need to know? What does the marketing lead need to know? What does the CEO need to know? So I interview all of those people and kind of ask them like, Hey, if you could learn one thing, what would you want to walk away knowing? Or what are your current assumptions about your buyers? What do you know for a fact about your buyers and what do you not know at all? Or what do you wish you did know? Um, And those kind of conversations really do set the stage for the rest of the user research. That becomes the questions I ask in surveys, the questions we look up uh, when we do our one-to-one interviews, even usability testing and things like that. It all plays a part um, in making sure that we're finding the right answers.
0: How many times do you notice that the people you interview, what they say is completely different to what the buyer and customer tells you?
1: It doesn't happen so much. Like, there's not a whole lot of like, we were completely surprised about this huge thing because we do have access to a lot of data, right? Like, social listening, our Google Analytics data, SEO has a ton of data. Um, people have a pretty good idea of who their buyers are. Where the surprises come up is like in the the trigger moments. Like, I would have never assumed this trigger event would have been what caused them to buy, or I would have never known that they were struggling with this part of the product. So there are like little nuances, things um, that are discovered along the way in the research. And that's kind of where the big aha moments come from. Like I would have not realized that a lot of people have maybe certain complaints and they didn't know that that was a strong complaint within their community with their buyers. So as far as like who generally populations are, there's not a whole lot of like surprises, but Man, once you get into the weeds of like buyer's journey, motivation, pain points, that's where some surprising things can pop up for sure.
0: Yeah, I feel like just working on marketing teams, a lot of people know a general picture of the buyer and know pain points in general, but they don't know which ones are the actual ones that they should be marketing to. They just know that they have these pain points. They don't know which one their product actually connects with which is a good thing that you come in and help with that because I see it all the time it's a lot of people market by assumption instead of actual talking to customers like you do
1: yeah absolutely and when you're able to really say like you know we've got these products these features and this is the the pain points and this is how they align you know that can be really powerful in marketing but then outside of that just you know, knowing exactly where your people are and what levers to pull when and how to push those pain points, that is marketing, right? Like that's the whole job right there. And really the research is kind of becomes that roadmap for making sure that you're pushing the right things at the right time.
0: What is one of the greatest challenges you face when you do audience research or buyer research
1: yeah. So a current struggle that I'm having is just getting people on the phone and it can be really challenging. You have to find creative ways, creative research methods. You have to make sure that you're aligning your research methodology with like they're getting the right answers, right? Like if you need to know how they use the website, you probably want to combine, um, you know, a hot jar usability testing with also um, maybe customer interviews. Whereas, if you need to understand really core motivators or why things are happening, those are conversations. You have to have one to one conversations in order to get that level of insight. Um, so, the challenge is if you're like just reaching people and then getting them on the phone, getting them to interact with research can sometimes be um, you have to get creative. There are some incentives you can provide. There are, you know, I want to make sure that I'm offering like different ways to reach people, whether it's interviews or surveys or user testing, all different kinds of uh, avenues that we can take. But yeah, currently that is one of the biggest challenges is just getting the people to participate in the research.
0: I feel that. I feel like getting people on the phone in general, especially I feel like the last two years were probably very hard as well to get people on the, the phone because of all that was happening in the world. Uh, I know this is a touchy subject for you, but I saw like a popular marketer say that buyer personas are like useless or something like that. I, I'm not sure yeah. if that was exactly the word, but what do you say to combat that to a, someone who says that?
1: I think I did. If, if we're thinking of the same popular marketer who worked at very popular companies and has left to do their own popular group situation. So the thing is, is I think they're right. Like most, the way most people use and create buyer personas is crap. Like that's why there's a problem. Um, 95, I, th- I did a survey, I think 95% of companies create buyer personas. 77% of them never use it again. Like they never refer to it. They don't ever look at it. So when your average marketer says, man, buyer personas are a joke. Like why are we even wasting our time? I say, yeah, that's because you're, you've seen buyer personas that are done wrong. You, you've gone through a poor process. Likely what happened was a whole bunch of internal people got into a room, brainstormed some stuff on a whiteboard, made up a cute little acronym name, gave them a face and a race and a gender and an age, and then never looked at it again because they knew it wasn't based upon like solid data. It wasn't really strongly supported by their own internal buyers, by different segments within their own company. So, you know, I said, you know, it's, it's time to not, it, we have to change the way we create them. And that's kind of my mission is to change the way marketers and founders create and use buyer personas so that they, they get a better reputation because when they're done right, they're useful.
0: When is a good time to update and change and look, keep looking at it? Cause I feel like even with like audience research, people's buying motions change all the time. So when is a good time to, how often is the question should we update buyer personas and how often should we be looking at these buyer journeys and buyer motions that buyers have?
1: Yeah, there, I mean, it's hard to say, oh, every month or, or every 12 months or every 18 months. So there are kind of more milestones. If you've got um, a new feature or product release, it's time to kind of look into your buyer segments. Are you still segmenting your people accurately? If you haven't done a research project since, you know, 2019, it's time to re-identify, like, especially so we've had major cultural shifts, right, in 2020, 2021. It's time to relook at your audience. Relook at the language that they're using. Look at their their pain points. Their uh, their motivators. Have those things changed? Culturally, a lot has changed. So if you haven't done one in three years, I mean, it's just time for everybody. And then also, if you are, if there's a new campaign going on, if you're about to launch a whole new marketing campaign or, you know, an email marketing campaign, you don't have to do these huge buyer persona projects. That's kind of what I preach. Like some people think, and sometimes it is good to start from scratch and do the full 20 interviews and a survey and, you know, all of the different things that can go on social listening and digital intelligence, but it doesn't always have to be that big. It doesn't have to be a multi-month process. You could just say, Hey, we're going to talk to one customer once a week. And then we're going to record those findings and we're going to make sure that everybody knows what's going on we're going to share them in a way that everyone has access to it and then by the end of a quarter you've got a really good strong idea of the shifts that have happened in your market the shifts that have happened in your uh, consumer desires or motivations pains frustrations all of those good things Um, it might just take you a little bit longer but definitely make sure like i like to preach it should be a continuous process like People should always be talking to the buyers and the users of their product on the marketing team, on the product team. Someone should own that process and be sharing that information with everybody. And when that's the case, you really are never like surprised or shocked when you see that there are shifts in the market. Because like you said, they're they're constantly happening.
0: Yeah, I just the reason I ask is I think the same reason you said People do buyer personas when they start and then they stop and they never use them or they don't update them or they go into a different segment and they keep the same audience. It's just, I think that's a a good point of how, why people think they're useless because they, nobody updates them. Nobody maintains them. Nobody actually. Uses valuable information. I think it's just like a fun project for them to say, like, this person shops a sweet green and goes, yeah, it's like kind of like cool to think like that. Um, but really, it's not only like it's something that's ever changing, which I, I like that. Um, what is a, um, if someone came to you and it's a hill that you would die on, what's a marketing hill you would die on today? And it could be something that you, it's today, it could change in the future, but what is something that you would die on today that a marketing statement or a marketing thing that you believe?
1: I will go back. It is the fact that um, buyer personas can be useful. Like they're not just a check the box marketing practice. Like they are used in so many organizations right now. Like the marketing hill I will die on is that your, the output is only going to be as good as your process. So if you are saying this thing is crap, that means your process to create it was crap the entire time. So, you know, making sure that you have a solid process for research, for understanding your buyers, that's like number one. And that is actually going to impact every single thing you touch in marketing and in product. You know, if you're not actually talking to the people who are using reading, learning, engaging with your stuff, you know, you're kind of creating in just this little bubble that. You know, you think you're probably doing well, or you know, you're watching different metrics and things like that. You're not actually hearing from the horse's mouth, quote unquote. Like I'll put that in quotes, but like you're not hearing from your own buyers. So, making sure that you have a solid process for doing really good research and analysis is going to improve so many things in both marketing and product for sure.
0: I love, I love it. Standby I stand by buyer personas. I think, I think they're. I mean, I've changed my view over the time, like just because I've seen good and bad. So like I've gone flip-flopped and I'm like, oh, at this organization, they're useless. That doesn't mean like they're useless in, in general. I know it's tough to predict what's gonna happen, but what is like one marketing trend that you're seeing that marketers should jump on right now?
1: Proprietary data. Big, large proprietary data pieces. Marketing organizations are not taking the time to say, let's pause for a minute on our massive wheel of content creation. Let's look into our own product, especially talking to my B2B and B2B SaaS folks. Let's look into our own product, see what trends we can find in our own data. What uh, What is going on? What do we own? What's the proprietary, da- proprietary data that we own that we could turn into something amazing that our community would want and would read and would like enjoy. It's so lacking. Every content marketer that I've talked to feels this because they're find, trying to find sources, trying to find proprietary stats. And we're going back to like 2012 to find really solid information and data and stats. That's because companies just are not taking the time to create solid proprietary data type content. And that's, that is a missing link. And if you can be a leader in your organization right now, in your niche, um, niche however you want to say it then you, you will definitely lead the conversation because it is lacking
0: the other day i was asking a marketer like what's the baseline of what marketers come in to your product and what is the improvement in your product can you give me like the stat and it was like they couldn't give me the status i feel like you should ha- you have that data you just not you know, nobody's looking yeah, yeah at no, it. nobody's looking at it so i think that's a great point i also think on that point that you said too is i think a lot of people are not looking like respecting zero-party data like meaning like what do you do like that's some data that everybody looks at like third-party data and first-party data but like the data that you collect and how good it is from, like, internal people in the org, like your sales reps, your customer sex. That's some some valuable data that nobody, like, actually thinks about.
1: Um, 100%. And that's the most valuable data in my mind because, number one, you've been given permission to utilize it, to have it, to use it. It's abundant, right? Like, you're, no one else controls it. Right now, if you are relying solely on third-party data, you know, like, good luck because it's going away. Like, you're going to struggle – it's going to become more vague it's going to become more abstract it's going to become more expensive to gather zero party that's exactly i think where the focus and energy should be like how do we actually pull out the insights Who, who's the data analyst that we need to call and have them code this data and actually know how to use it it's it's going to be um, or it should be right now a lot of focus for sure
0: yeah i love that i think that's a great point i think a lot of people are missing it and probably making up fake stats and stuff like that to counteract that, which is, um, but if you were telling someone a younger marketer or something right now that they will probably thank you for five years from now, what is something you would tell them if they were starting out to start doing?
1: Just don't be afraid to experiment. Like marketing is in my mind, one big science experiment. So kind of create a hypothesis, create a question, and then go and see if it works out, you know, like write a piece, test the market, see how it performed, come back and do it again. I think so many marketers are afraid to fail, afraid to like produce something that doesn't just go viral and blow up and have this extreme likely wonderful thing. But even if they don't, we've what you've learned something in that failure, like then tweak and iterate. Iterations is a marketer's best friend, I think for sure. So young ones, be, be comfortable with that. Don't let failure consume you. As a marketer, we have to be able to accept a failure and say, okay, now, what? now do, what do we learn? Let's keep going, keep moving on.
0: I love that point. I also, I think one thing that I learned early in my career that I kind of got lucky on, but I think a lot of people are told that this is a wrong thing to do. But if, if you get into a job, for example, and you're just not passionate about that type of work, and you just that is not your career path it's okay not to wait three years to change i think a lot of people oh, get yeah. feel like theirs get shunned because it's like two years down the line rather when you're younger make the, make the mistake but jump around find what you actually like because you're going to be doing it for the next 20 30 40 years so why not just find it earlier instead of later down the line
1: Absolutely. And in this day, like right now in this market, it's not unusual for people to move every 18 months. I mean, like you're seeing people, at least on Twitter, really big names at really big companies who who are leaving different positions and going to different companies. You know, it's a way to expand your experience. It's a way to upgrade your pay scale. There's a lot of benefit to it, for sure.
0: Yeah. Someone said to me once that, and it was a great point, experience is not always... Years worked, it's seeing different environments. Uh, yeah. cause a lot of people, if you're exposed to just one environment, you haven't seen what other people are doing. So you can't come in with these new ideas that, I mean, you probably see it cause you're, you're talking to a bunch of different companies. But if you're just this one company marketer, it's hard to have experience of this company, that company. What does this company do? What does that type of company do? Because you've never been in it. Um, yeah. so.
1: I've seen the, you know, the the lesson goes, like, if you need experience, join a company in-house and then, like, that's how you'll gather it. And while that's true, there's de- that's definitely not a wrong statement. I think there's also some education and benefit of being a freelancer. Like, maybe a full-time one in-house role is not what's best for you. Maybe it is a freelance position where you've got three to five different clients and, you find one small thing that you can help them with, or you, like you bridge the gap or you meet this need somewhere else, either content writing or ads or Facebook or like whatever the case may be, social media. I think some people, when you've been in-house for so long, it can be scary to think about going freelance. But you know, I, I've loved being able to be a consultant and a freelancer. I think it's been very beneficial to my career.
0: What are some things you would tell in-house marketers or other uh, marketers about like w- the importance of freelancers and because I feel like people underappreciate a good freelancer. Um so what would what would you tell people about that?
1: Oh my goodness. So just as a consultant and freelancer, number one, um so when I do content strategy, I hire freelance writers. So these people are core to the development and to the process and to our product, right? Like we need this content to go out. Um, So there's a lot of value there and freelancers have the value. They also have expertise. A lot of different kinds of freelancers or consultants, they find one thing that they know to do really, really well. That's like with me, with the buyer persona research and user research. This is the thing I do really well and I know it like frontwards and backwards. So whereas if you're in-house and maybe you don't, you're not doing 20 user research projects, every year or month and you're not solely focused on solving these problems every single day. Like I get to think about what's the best kind of question to ask to get this kind of answer constantly. What's the best email rate? Um, I've seen different emails have different conversion rates and I know, okay, I've been able to refine it and, and really optimize my process and what I'm doing. So that way when I come into a team as a consultant, I am able to present like this is what works. I've done this hundreds of times other places. This is what we know it works. So that's an expertise and a level of knowledge that you're not necessarily going to get if you do a buyer persona project once every three years. So I think, you know, in-house marketers can really, and most of them do. I don't think, I've never had an issue where an in-house marketer comes to me and isn't necessarily respectful. Most of them do. I I just thought of one. But most of them are very respectful. They understand the expertise because they've come to you. But definitely realizing that your freelancer's have a lot of knowledge and they have an understanding of how other teams have done things. Um, They see good processes, they see bad processes, and sometimes your process is what will kill you. Like just how do you, how did other people create a content strategy? How do you get your other briefs? Kind of interview your freelancer a little bit and see like, are we doing a good job being you know, a client? Are we good clients? How can we improve? Uh, Those kinds of things will not only help you hire the best talent there is, but also improve your internal processes where everyone will benefit.
0: Yeah, I love the point of you're the best at this one thing, because I think there is some, like, for example, there are people who can do this but they're limited resources limited time or they can't do it as good as you they they're good at parts of the job that they are good at so you bring on someone who right. could fill that gap that you really need which it makes total sense but i i think a lot of people just see the word freelance and it's just like oh that person doesn't is just not wanting to be like an in-house marketer. Like it's mm-hmm. like, it's a reframe of like what it actually is. Um, and then, they, but they yeah. see consultant and it's a different story. It's like, it's weird. Uh,
1: so right. And I used to shun the word freelance when I first started, it was like, oh, I don't want to call myself a freelance writer because like that just isn't cool. That's not great. And very early on, I came across Kaylee Moore, who straight up said, I'm a freelance writer for D2C e-commerce companies. And I was like, well, she's like, she's the best of the best, right? Like ever she's known in our industry. She knows her stuff and she's calling herself a freelancer. So maybe it's okay. Maybe there's nothing so wrong with it. So now on Twitter, you know, I'll talk to freelancers and consultants because really we're operating in the same ways. I can work when I want to work. I can choose who I want to work with. There's very little difference between the two besides the job title.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, it's so funny because it's kind of like market. It's just a one word can change a whole like consultant to freelance could just change the whole perception of a person it's it's crazy even though like a freelancer could be better than the the consultant vice versa it's crazy who right now i i know you said one person which she is awesome i I agree with that person as well but i'm interested that this is but who's inspiring you in the buyer persona space, the writing space, who, who do you look to for inspiration o- online or offline?
1: So in for me in particular, for user research, buyer personas, I just am so inspired and love anything Bob Moesta does. He writes jobs to be done content. He um, hosts these interviews. You can see him on the business of software type stuff. He has his own book. I'm reading or I'm listening to the audible of his demand size sales right now. He is like the goat when it comes to jobs to be done and really understanding it. And he's applied it to so many different things. So I've had the pleasure of speaking with him. And he was interested in like, how are you using it for buyer personas? This is kind of a different approach. Like most people think they're competition. I kind of melded them all together. So he is definitely an inspiration. Um, Tracy Wallace right now at Clavio. Love her. Clavio. Love her. God. And her, she's like, I've spoken with her too. She's so smart, so bright, so kind. She's so sweet, but she has a level of knowledge about like just creating content from the scratch, like not just a piece of work, but an entire process, an entire team, um, the entire strategy, follow her on Twitter, watch her tweets right now. Cause she's starting to get into threads and really sharing things. And it's like, I'm bookmarking almost every day, something that Tracy tweets, like she's very smart at what she did what she does another like genius oh he's so smart is benjamin elias elias e-l-i-a-s benjamin he works um with podia and he's like their cmo essentially he is the most thoughtful marketer that i've probably ever spoken to like if you are going to think of who's the professor of marketing it's benjamin he's read every book He's like a deep thinker on the subjects. He's not just out here like slinging jargon and being flashy. He's another really good person to be inspired by and learn from for sure.
0: I love it. Those three are great. I had to follow um, two of them because I I don't follow them, which is great too. That I have new two new people to inspire me. But yes. Tracy Wallace is one of my favorite people, so I totally agree with Tracy Wallace. Uh, Lastly, I just want to give you a couple minutes to talk about where people could find you, if people want to learn bio personas, audience research, how they could find you, anything new you're working on. This is your time.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks. So at Adrian Nicole on Twitter, and I have a persona equals people newsletter, which you can subscribe to via the bio Twitter link Um, also on my website at bestbuyerpersona.com, uh, where the newsletter is, I'm not like a super, I don't send you anything daily. I don't hardly even send it weekly. Sometimes I'm really good at doing it bi-weekly. I'm kind of one of those where it's like when inspiration strikes, when I've got something really knowledgeable to share, that's when the newsletter goes out. So I'm not even on necessarily a bi, it says a bi-weekly cadence, but really it's when there's something, when I've learned something new or when I've gotten a lot of questions, then I put it together in the newsletter and share it. Um, I'm about to launch a workshop series that I actually haven't even really talked about, but we're going into the four different aspects, the four pillars of audience research. We're going to look at survey design and interviews and social listening tools and digital intelligence and all of the things that you need to do and know um, in order to really learn and like perform really good audience research. So that's also on the website. Yeah. And if like, if you come from the market, you know, say hi on twitter that's that's my favorite thing it's just to to meet people and chat on twitter
0: yeah i highly suggest you go follow her she puts out great stuff and also i it's funny you said what your course is because someone asked me if you were creating a marketing course like where would you start creating a course from like person not personally but like what would be best to learn and i said understanding your audience, understanding buyers, understanding. So this is a great time that you're creating something because I totally believe that's like one of the first things you need to do to be a great marketer is understand how to do that because not many people nail that down and work on it. Um, So highly suggest it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. And it's a really light, like it's not an arduous course. It's four series, four workshops where you'll have access to me, ask me personal questions like, we're working on this. How would you suggest we ask these kinds of questions? I really want it to be tactical. You know, I use my classroom experience. I don't walk away and then you are still like, how? I don't understand. Like you'll walk away with your own personal experience and your own like tactical examples that you can actually implement. Um, It's always my goal that what we do and what we teach is useful and never just like jargon and shiny syndrome, you know, BS. It's actually something that somebody can go put to use
0: i love that i think that's a key to a course i think courses are actionable relevant and then taught by someone with expertise so uh, it sounds like a perfect course i'm gonna have to even check it out thank you for coming on this was awesome i appreciate your time and thank you again
1: thank you thanks for having me That's great love being here
0: thanks so much for listening